Hi, this is Keith Kefchin, and you're listening to Dollars and Drivers, a podcast that allows leaders an outlet to discuss what drives them and their distinct way of succeeding in life and business. Welcome back, everyone, to Dollars and Drivers. Today, we're going to be speaking with John Paul Nichols, the CEO of Club Quarters, a very unique hospitality concept. And he's going to be talking a great deal about why being different is actually a plus and how it was a big plus for him as he advanced in his career and why what he did during his extra time was extremely impactful to getting promoted on a number of occasions. Hope you enjoy. So why don't we just get started? I appreciate you doing this uh, and spending a little time. But before I get into some of the, the detailed questions, I'm just wondering, how's business? Uh, you're in an untraditional hotel business. So uh, if you could share how's COVID impacted you folks and, and what makes you different than maybe some of the traditional hoteliers? Unfortunately, you know, we're, the, the markets we're in, are prob- all of the markets we're in are probably the most severely impacted by COVID, right? And so regardless of your, of your business model, uh, if you are dependent on uh, primarily corporate business as your point of differentiation, and for that matter, any business, you're not immune from, from you know, the, the trends in New York City and London and Chicago and, unfortunately, Boston and uh, uh, Philadelphia, Houston, you name it, right? These are all right. dense, you know, high-rise, you know, we're right smack in the middle of, of, of dense high-rise buildings. Uh, those buildings today have very little occupancy. Uh, the, uh, as you might imagine, there's very little international and even domestic flights into these particular markets. So the traditional feeders or in our traditional segments there, we would get a lot of our business from corporates, for an example, or what we would call members, uh, is pretty much decimated at this point in time. That remains the case, right? Uh, uh, while there certainly has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, some uptake in occupancies and rates and leisure environments, roadside environments, some, you know, less dense markets, that's not the case in these city center environments. So we're, you know, we're, uh, the good news is we're, you know, we're a, a, a private company, right? Uh, uh, we, you know, well-financed. So that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an important comment in, the, in today's day and age, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so we are just doing everything possible. We're having to shift a little bit to focus a bit more on leisure, as you might imagine, than we would have historically, simply because that's what's out there today. And terms of, uh, you know, drive-to, and these are not necessarily classic drive-to markets, right? And obviously, right. the big challenge with all of these dense city center environments, these gateway cities, is international is dead in the water right now because nobody's flying. And yeah. most, of the event, most of the events, facilities, restaurants, museums, things of that nature, Broadway, you know, that would drive people to come in, even, even for leisure purposes, unfortunately, are still closed, or, yeah. or at least opening, closing intermittently. So it's been a Certainly a challenging environment, uh, uh, and I don't think anybody that's in the hotel business would probably say, regardless of your segment, would uh, would probably say otherwise at this moment in time. Yeah, the black swan of all black swans, it seems. Yeah. Certainly, uh, uh, this is not the one I would have guessed, and certainly not for this duration. I mean, the surprising aspect of this, I think, with Scott, pretty much not off guard, but certainly has as as. Uh, uh, made it a lot worse than everybody anticipated has been the length of the event, right? Uh, it looks as if there's light at the end of the tunnel here in, in, the, in, 
certainly by the fourth quarter, right? You know, we can, everybody can argue as whether it's going to be the second, third, or fourth quarter, right? But uh, but it, uh, it's been a pretty brutal environment, both from an employee safety standpoint, guest safety environment, and the impact of all of us you know, in terms of our own lives and, and, and what we do. Yeah. We can switch the conversation over to some of the, uh, the more intimate reasons why I wanted to uh, chat with you, and that's really about leadership. Uh, it's what intrigues me. I hope that it intrigues, again, the listener. Uh, and if you could, I mean, you've obviously reached a certain level of success in your life. What would have been the personal and professional motivations, drivers, because that's part of obviously dollars and drivers. What have been those driving forces of your success? You know, uh, I'll start with personal and then go to business and they obviously influence each other, right? Sure. Uh, and certainly personal influences the business, right? One was uh, growing up international. You know, I grew up most of my life. I'm from Wisconsin, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, but I grew up most of my life in Brazil, Chile, and Spain, which gives me a very different viewpoint and a, you know, kind of a very different worldview, I'd say, uh, than, than your typical American, if you will. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, you learn a lot of tolerance in that environment. You learn, uh, you learn that, Things work different ways and different models exist, whether they be political models, cultural models, whatever that may be. Uh, you, you learn to think fairly independently uh, because you have to. You're, you're going through this process of change all the time, whether you like it or not. Right. Uh, and yeah. obviously that also uh, imparts upon you a willingness to change, which is an important aspect, I think, to, from my standpoint, success. Now, how does that uh, how does it impact me on the business side or is it, how has that influenced me on the business side? One. I would always say yes to everything. Now that may be a good or a bad, but that's what allowed me a lot of exposure. Uh, as I would like to say, I never ever got promoted because of what I did right in my regular job. I always got promoted because of what the extra that I did in my willingness to do something and add value to a company. So that was uh, you know, that's what made me notice. That's what made me stand out, uh, and that's what made me a little different, frankly. And differentiation in any environment, I think, is critical to success, whether it's personal or business. Uh, I think working in multiple cultural environments uh, was a big driver for me. But what I learned personally motivated me in a business environment. I spent a lot of my career working internationally or in different cultural environments. And that was a, uh, A, I was good at it. B, I was a catalyst. I had language capabilities. But it was the personal motivation that, that, that really made me successful at it in a business environment. In other words, a lot of people view international as a negative. I viewed it very much as a positive and embraced it, right? The uh, yeah. uh, I think uh, uh, embracing change, uh, when it's smart change, you know, uh, irrespective of geography. You know, geography is an interesting thing. A lot of people are scared of different geographies. Frankly, it's you know, uh, uh, if you're in Mexico, it's no different than being in Tennessee. You just got to learn something different. <laughs> I can't explain it any other way. Right. Uh, and uh, 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 you know, frankly, last but not least, having a pretty strong work ethic uh, with a good dose of ambition. In other words, uh, uh, again, I go back to doing projects and everything outside of my regular time and the willingness to do that. But there's one thing I wanted to mention on a personal basis that I that I that I forgot that I don't want to forget. Sure. That work, my daughter. So a lot of what I do and have done my whole life has been driven around uh, making sure that uh, I can maintain a relationship with my daughter, contact with my daughter, and frankly, uh, provide uh, uh, benefits to my daughter. So. Excellent. And, and I appreciate uh, the, the combination of the two, because I do think that 
they're two sides of a coin, but very connected. Uh, how did you get on this path uh, of hospitality? You, you clearly talked about why you chose international and some of the things you've done, but what got you on this path? What kept you on the straight and narrow? Uh, you know, it's an interesting, uh, 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 I, the key for me, frankly, was to consider lots of paths before I got on the path. And, okay. and like many of us in hospitality, you kind of got exposed to hospitality by luck at one moment, right? And, and uh, uh, because I looked at uh, my uh, my educational background was liberal arts, was in business. In other words, so I was, I was, you know, I could have gone, I looked seriously at the foreign service, for instance, you know, a diplomat, because I was exposed to that all my life. And a lot of the skill sets I had were very useful in that kind of environment. But it was a summer job as a Belmont, the Longbow Key Hilton. <laughs> you know, it's just funny how you kind of yeah. get engaged sometime at, when I was just getting out of college. And that really gave me a great taste of hospitality. I loved it. And from there, you became a front office manager. I mean, the kind of the classic. Uh, so I've pretty much done every job in the hospitality industry you can think of, right? Uh, uh, working my way up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, I did take uh, a 10 year detour uh, uh, as a CEO of an Indian reservation. Uh, and we won the Supreme Court case that established Indian gambling to give you some perspective. So wow. if you think of it as just a different cultural experience, then it fits perfectly, right? Because it, 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 it was, I might as well have been in Chile. Right. So, yeah. No, I, I didn't remember that. Uh, could you elaborate? The Cabazons in California. Okay. So the, the Supreme Court decision is known as the Cabazon decision. So, uh, 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 but anyway, uh, but it was after 10 years of that, uh, I, uh, uh, an individual uh, uh, that, uh, that I knew from early days in the hotel industry recommended me to somebody that was a hotel developer. And he saw somebody uh, an, an interesting, an interesting background rather than a background that wasn't quite on point, and that's an important comment, right? I think, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of us in the hotel industry have stayed very, very focused and no one vertical. I think, it, I don't, uh, you know, I, uh, 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 I tend to look for people to hire that have uh, uh, multi-industry experience, including hospitality, because it gives them a very different lateral viewpoint or a willingness to adapt and evolve their models versus kind of the classic definition that somebody's worked their ladder only up through the hotel side. The, uh, with, all, with all your experiences coming, you know, up uh, the ladder, um, it, do you have a playbook of success? Is there a way of doing business that you have found? I mean, I, a lot of people talk in sports vernacular. So I think about the Patriot way, you know, that people talk about Is, is there a John Paul way or a, the you know, way that you guys do business? I think playbooks evolve, you know, and, and certainly the playbook I had when I was 25 is different than the playbook that you have at 55 and beyond, right? So, uh, okay. but one I, I didn't want to mention that certainly good friends, and I'll use Eric Pfeffer, somebody that many, many years ago, he and I were peers, but we've always kind of, we've had a competition going for about 45 years. And I think he's been, I think he beat me, but my point being, <laughs> I, in other words, uh, good friends and good bosses, you know, kind of, help you evolve is the moral of the story. So, you know, and maintaining those relationships over many, many years, I think is also critical in any industry, but I think especially in the hospitality industry. But one, but if there's a playbook for success lesson, it's the obvious one and everybody says this, but one, people will follow if you lead and you got to lead by example, right? So whatever you do is going to set the tone for that organization. I think you have to, uh, if there's one thing I think I've done right and more right than wrong is, is hire 
the best talent for the job. In the end, you're not, you're, you're successful as the people that work with you and for you, right? And in fact, you're only successful, they're successful generally. Uh, so uh, I think an ability to stretch yourself, but also stretch, uh, frankly, the executives or the team members that work for you into a little bit area into where, where it might be a little discomfort, but well within their bandwidth, right? In other words, that's how people grow. And I think the primary job of any uh, leader is to help the individuals in the organization grow, but also the organization grow. You know, you're only going to have the organization grow if the people grow, frankly. Uh, I think there's a balance between thinking, taking the time to strategize uh, innovation, uh, and, and that's not going to happen unless you're doing some thinking, and execution, though, uh, frankly. If there's anything this this current role that I'm in, uh, it makes clear as a bill that uh, if you can't execute whatever you're planning, it really simply doesn't matter, right? And from my past franchise experience where you had to try to roll things out over thousands of hotels, almost inevitably, if there was ever a challenge, it was on the execution side, right? Uh, uh, so I, I learned a lesson in that environment that, uh, you know, there's a lot of marketing, but if you're going to really make a difference, you got to be able to deliver what we're supposed to deliver. Uh, you know, obviously balancing work life, I think it's pretty critical. I go back to my daughter and if I certainly, if I made mistakes as an early, uh, as an early man or early person, it was not balancing that right. Uh, not yeah. only for myself, but I, I certainly learned that you're going to get a lot more out of an organization. Uh, if, if the individuals that work with you and for you also feel that balance or feel that it's important for you. It's two or three other things. So that's just, it's a little, I mean, that playbook as I say, has a lot of, a lot of plays, right? But, um, sure. I think it's it's more important to decide what not to do than to decide what to do. And because time is our most precious commodity for all of us, right? And so making sure you're focused on what makes a difference and quickly eliminate what does not make a difference or does not add value is pretty critical to success, I think, especially in a, in a smaller organization. I think uh, differentiating yourself and your product, absolutely critical. If you want to have a brand, you need to have a personal brand. And you need to have a, a frankly a business brand. Think about the again the NFL. Uh, I mean, everyone has the same goal, right? Generally speaking, I've uh, have similar values. Well, want to be a team, want to win a championship, and so forth. They even make it uh, that you, you have to spend the same amount of money on uh, people and so forth. How can you have a a dynasty like a Packers and a Patriots and so forth, and then have a Jets and a Browns. <laughs> uh, how, you know, how is that possible? You know, listen. Uh, uh, in the end, you know, uh, a team is composed of individual talents, right? And so, yeah, it's critical. But I think the caliber of the players do differentiate between some of those dynasties, right? The, I mean, the quarterback uh, uh, in the leader uh, in that environment, and the quality of that particular leader is going to is going to create a huge amount of difference in terms of the potential value of, the, of, of that of that franchise or of that team, right? So, mm-hmm. Tom Brady makes a difference. A uh, uh, you know uh, uh, the quarterback of the Steelers makes a difference, right? Uh, and has made a difference over many many years, notwithstanding the fact that every other quarterback may be as talented on paper, right? So there's yeah. a there's a uh, what's the word for it? something that may not be tangible that uh, or as clearly as tangible that drives that, right? right. But I think the, the great leaders also knows when to, frankly, delegate that whatever they're planning or whatever they're doing to, to the somebody else on the team as well, right? In other words, uh, mm-hmm. you got to be able to, and last but not least, you have to be willing to be self-critical. 
uh, uh, I mean, I really value an employee, uh, you know, that can say, uh, you know, listen, this is what I, how I can improve or what I could have, uh, or, or I would, I would have been able to add more value to the company if I'd done this. And that's a critical skill I think I need to have. I mean, if you can't sit back and, and at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year and say, well, if I'd done X, Y, Z, it would have really made a difference uh, and then adopt and change, then you're, you're never going to grow as, a, as an individual, as a manager. And I think that's a, again, as you're growing, as you're managing a team or as you're leading a team, I think the team needs to perceive that you're willing to change as well. Yeah. That's the point that I'm trying to make. How do you view your competition? And 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 do you learn from them? I mean, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess I how do you perceive your compo? The first thing I think you should do with competition is be is, is learn from them always, right? I mean, and, and learn what's good and learn what's bad, right? Because there's things that you can learn both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is there's there's competition at the corner, there's competition in the sector, and there's competition in the brand, right? So. Uh, and, and so you really you have to constantly be scanning the future competition and present competition. Airbnb is the classic, right? So uh, uh, all of us are, you know, we're so focused on what's happening in our six corners or on the classic hotel brands, and, and around us was a was a change happening that became a, you know, a, a tsunami, so to speak, right? That really evolved. absolutely. So uh, so so defining competition the right way, uh, being willing to to. Uh, not just look at the competition in a very narrow sense in terms of what your comp set is, your SDR segments or your sectors, but but actually looking at how could you grow differently? How could you evolve differently? You know, understanding who you really are going to compete with, I think is pretty critical in terms of being able to strategize and evolve your business or defend your business, depending on what your position is or what your task is. I think the hotel industry gets a bad rap when it comes to innovation. Uh, I hear a lot of people say we're always lagging other industries uh, and they refer to tech in particular, but how, how do you folks innovate? You know, I, I think the challenge with, uh, let me just kind of address your first comment on the bad yeah. rep. I think the, the challenge with innovation is the franchise and the ownership structure. It's just very difficult in a franchise environment to innovate across whatever the numbers are, 5,000 franchisees, 6,000 franchisees, uh, because those are a lot of individual owners that have to kind of execute a very complicated plan generally. And so innovation by its very nature gets very difficult that way. Uh, I have the luxury of, of, of having 16 hotels, you know, primarily owned or all developed by us originally, even if they're owned by third parties. So it's a very, uh, with long-term relationships, long-term management contracts, so we can execute technology platforms consistently. So the important part is, I go back to the comment is having a clear vision of what technology should be uh, and understanding where you're evolving to because technology doesn't happen in a day or differentiation doesn't happen in a day or innovation doesn't happen in a day. Uh, and then having a plan to get there and execute it. Just coincidentally, I have a couple hours meeting later today on, on technology innovation and what our platform should be over the next few years and are we and where do we have gaps and where do we need to get to. The key is defining it right in the first place. Now, to do that, you need to really understand what the consumer needs, right? Not just what I need, not my perception of, not what the industry thinks the one is, but really what does the consumer need? And that, again, I, I look at Airbnb again. And what they got really, really, really right was they realized they needed to create a feel and a brand, right? Uh, and own that as opposed to be disintermediated through Google eventually, which is primarily Expedia's problem and, and, and Booking.com's problem. 
right, uh, in the long run. Uh, and so they under, I think they understood very, very clearly from the beginning where they had to invest to really control their technology, their technological future. We feel the same way. I mean, today we've got all of our rooms within two months were, were, were mobile and able to be able to use your phone. Why? I could execute it across there. We controlled the environment and it was much easier to do that. By the time you get to every hotel in a large franchise system, be mobile enabled, that could be four or five years, right? Just using that as an example, right? Uh, our we have the same property management system at all hotels. We have, and we have had for years. We've had kiosks for 20 years at this stage of the game. <laughs> so just to right. give you some perspective, right? Yeah, I've always thought you guys were doing different things. You, you experimented a lot. Maybe, as you said, you had, you had a controllable the, think tank. One is understanding what the consumer wants. So in the end, they wanted an easy check-in, easy check-out. They high, highly value the speed of not having to spend time at the desk. Now, we'll spend as much time with the consumer as they want at a desk if, if personal attention is what they want. But most people, especially re repeat and experienced travelers, it's about ease and speed. So that was number one, always driven by that. The corollary to that, of course, it allows you to have less staff, right? And so you have cost takeout, which so our margins are very high. So... So understanding the impact of technology, not just from a consumer standpoint or not just from an operation standpoint, but how the two blend together and realize when it's time to evolve and adapt. For instance, when apps came along, we need to be very quick at adapting apps. We need to mobile locks with the change that you need to be quick at adopting that. Philosophically, though, we feel a strong, we feel strongly that uh, it's important to be a, a very early adopter to a technology that seems to resonate and execute well versus being a pioneer. Pioneers, you know, still saying, get a lot of arrows, you know, and I, I learned that from uh, both Henry Silver and John Russell a long time ago. Now, maybe they learned it from somebody else, but I still think that holds true. Uh, and so I think there's some merit in, in being a little patient when it comes to technology as a differentiator to make sure it kind of sticks a bit. When you're thinking about it, whether it's a tough decision or just something you want to be thoughtful on, something impactful who do you go to for advice? How do you, do you have a system uh, for asking and using advice? One, we have, we have, uh, certain, we have an advisory board. So okay. number, that's, that's, that's important. I have a, a partner in the business, Bill Lovejoy, who really runs the development side of the business. But he and I, any major decision, we frankly uh, piggyback off each other, right? Because that's important. I use some of the people I was just talking about, past, past bosses, frankly because they maintain those relationships, that's important. You want to, you know, they're still, these are people who's judged, trusted for many years. I still trust their judgment as a, as a sense. Obviously, your, your executive teams and your SLTs, I think it's important when you hire those people that they have strong opinions of their own and they have uh, environments where they can express those opinions because otherwise it's very easy to believe, believe your own story, right? Uh, I think the best sure. decision that anybody can make, whether it's an executive, a younger employee, is one that has the least filters possible on it, right? You, you want to have clarity. And one of the ways you develop clarity is ensure you get feedback from a lot of loops so you're not just using your own thinking in that environment. So uh, uh, in the past, in, in larger organizations, they used coaches. I always found them very valuable, frankly. Uh, and last but not least, we occasionally use uh, human resource firms that have provided services to us in the past or now just as a way of kind of bouncing off ideas on that, especially when it comes to structure and people. Uh, I think that's important. One last question, and we sort of touched on it, but the aspect of building a dynasty, what, what, what do you think a 
the definition of a dynasty is and, and how do you get there? That's an interesting one because obviously dynasties can be defined to be lots of different things, right? Uh, right. And everybody can be right in that environment. So and, and I think dynasty isn't only about scale, right? Dynasty is about brand. Uh, it's about uh, longevity. It's about, frankly, uh, profitability. And it's about surviving for the long term, right? We have lots of dynasties that failed because they stretched themselves too far. They didn't have the right financial backing. So I think to, to really maintain a dynasty, whether it's a 25 hotel dynasty in the right locations with hotels that are worth a lot of money because of the real estate, or whether it's because it's a big brand that's got scale and a, a follow the franchise model, you need to have a clear vision on the future. Uh, you need to control the levers that allow you to execute that future. That's probably the most important one for me. And uh, Because if you don't control the levers, you can have all the ideas you want, but you're not going to be able to, again, execute eventually. I think you should stick Obviously, being willing to change, but stick to what you're good at, not what you're not good at, right? There's a, there's some truth in that. I use a, I use a, a chain that I've always been very respectful of, and 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 uh, is Drury. Drury knows exactly what they do for a living, and they've done it very very well for many many years, and they continue to do it very very well. I'm just using that as an example, right? Right. Uh, I think you, uh, I think drive and perseverance. I mean, the any entrepreneur or anybody that's building a company. Uh, if you don't have drive and perseverance, especially perseverance, because there's going to be all sorts of hurdles, all sorts of challenges that are unforeseen, COVID, not, not, not the least of them, right, that are getting your way, that you, you need to overcome those, frankly, long-term vision of the investors in your company and financial strength. That's an important uh, critical ingredient. If you're going to build a dynasty, right, patience for the right deal or for the right moment, the right market moment, right, uh, I think that's where that's where the uh, uh, I'll use this example now. There's going to be some dynasties or certainly significant growth coming out of COVID for certain companies because they're going to be in the right place at the right time with the right financial market in the right financial opportunity. Highgate's a great example of somebody that's obviously using this opportunity or the negative of it for an opportunity, right? right. Uh, uh, and then in our particular case, well. The willingness to learn as much from your failures as from your successes, I think, is important. Listen, you, you, you can't you can't build a dynasty unless you have a good pulse on consumer trends. You know, uh, uh, you know that's that that goes without saying. But in our particular case, which is you know generally an owned hotel model, location, 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 still is pretty much king. To be honest with you, yeah. and good quality real estate, good times, bad times, generally will. Uh, has got a, a good long-range future, and we very much still believe in that. I lied. I got one more question. <laughs> what, what advice would you give a young adult graduating from college now in all this upheaval? Oh, well, first of all, I'll, I'll say what I, I say to a lot of my team members. First of all, graduate from college, number one, right? If there's anybody, a lot of people get bought into this industry and forget that they got to finish school. Finishing school is going to give them the most flexibility across the industry, number one. Uh, uh, number two, I, I think uh, do what you love. You know, if you, if you love people, if you love engagement, if you love the industry, then you're going to love this in the long run. Uh, it isn't always the highest paying, uh, frankly, uh, industry at the early stages of your careers. It's a well-paying industry at the latter parts of your careers if you're successful. That's certainly been my experience. Uh, and uh, uh, But if you are doing what you genuinely enjoy doing, you'll be successful. And I say that to anybody. So never take a job for the money. 
Never take a job uh, uh, unless you perceive that you're going to enjoy that job. Last but not least, make sure that whoever hires you or you're willing to be hired by, that you you believe the leader of that business or the leader of that entity, could be the general manager, could be the CEO, whatever it is, that you believe you can learn from them and that uh, there's an environment or culture that you'll thrive in. If you do that, you're going to, you know, if you've got natural talent, you're willing to work hard and uh, and you've got some good skills, which is, I think, true with pretty much everybody, if you give them an opportunity, then uh, you, you have a good chance of being successful. Great. I really appreciate you taking, you know, half an hour plus of your busy schedule, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck with everything you're doing. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Be good. Thanks for listening to Dollars and Drivers. Until next time, this is Keith Kefchen signing off. Thank you.